Hey friends, thanks for listening to the Axiom Podcast. Um, We're a community centered around experiencing Jesus together and practicing his ways as a community. Uh, We like to say in Peoria as it is in heaven. Um, So this podcast is just space for discussion and exploring um, ideas and principles of the kingdom and also where we post uh, our sermons from Sunday gatherings. So um, please engage us online and uh, hope you enjoy this episode. But they could not stand up to the wisdom of the spirit, the wisdom the spirit gave him as he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Okay, so... Um, things have you know, started rolling along. Um, going back up to verse 8, uh, we see this guy, Stephen, one of the people that was chosen to help with the food distribution problem. Um, and it describes him here as a man full of God's grace and power who performed wonders and signs among the people. Now, it doesn't really say what these wonders and signs are, but uh, you know, it kind of sounds like the sort of stuff the apostles were doing, which, which in turn is the stuff that Jesus was doing. What, what, what was Jesus doing? Well, Jesus was, was helping people. He was healing diseases. He was freeing them from spiritual oppression. He was um, bringing hope to the hopeless and dignity to people who were without dignity and, you know, uh, teaching people to love and all these things. Great stuff is going on for Jesus. And, and that's the, the um, same kind of thing that's happening here. Now, At Axiom, we call ourselves a Jesus-centered church because we believe that Jesus is the center of our faith, not just as Savior, but also as Lord, that Jesus guides us in our daily lives, that Jesus is Lord of our everyday lives, and that the things that Jesus did are the things that we're also supposed to be doing. And so we here want to be loving our neighbors and our city just like Jesus did. We want to be bringing hope and, and and, um, and freedom and all those kind of things to the people around us in our city. And this is exactly what's happening in the early church. Now, let me ask you a question. Suppose that we really get this nailed and we do it like Jesus did. And we are bringing, bringing hope and, and all these kind of things to the people in our community. What, what do you think that would look like? I mean, in my head, it kind of plays out like this, like we're out there loving people and helping people and ministering to people and, and they're responding and they're coming and word starts to get out and, and pretty soon people are coming from all over and, uh, you know, maybe even the city starts to notice. Maybe the mayor gives us the key to the city or something in appreciation. Like this is, this is kind of how I feel like it, it ought to go, right? I mean, if we're really loving people the way Jesus loved them, well, that's going to be great, and, and people are going to notice. Um, in, in short, I kind of feel like, well, if we're doing a good job of loving the world, they're 
honestly going to love us back. And yet, that's kind of not how the world works. In fact, if we look at this story, last week in, in verse 7, the, the word is getting out. It's spreading. Um, the number of disciples is increasing. This is working just like it should, right? That everything is, is moving forward. And then in verse 8, um, we, we see Stephen is doing these great wonders and signs, right? So, so, you know, it's, this is like multiplication in action. It starts with Jesus who is bringing people in and then he's sending them out to love more people and then the, the disciples are doing that and now they brought in people like Stephen. Now Stephen is going out and doing signs and wonders. You know, I kind of imagine that there is like some marketing guy in the early church who is computing the exponential curve and he's saying like, wow, at this rate, within three years, the entire world's going to be Christian and everybody it's like, woohoo, right? And then we get verse 9. Opposition arose. It's like, wait, wait, they're loving people. They're helping people. They're, they're healing. Why is opposition arising? If, if Jesus was loving people, if, if Stephen was loving people, if Axiom is loving people, Shouldn't that be good? Shouldn't, shouldn't everybody like that and appreciate that? Well, this shouldn't come as any big surprise. I mean, the same thing happened to Jesus. Jesus was out there doing good, and he was blessing people and healing and, and bringing hope and, and all of these things and, and drawing in crowds. And then a few months later, those crowds are shouting, crucify him. So, so um, in John 15, Jesus says this, don't be surprised if they hate you because they hated me. Now, I'm like, why? Like, Jesus is loving them. Why the bad vibe here? And Jesus says, it's because you don't belong to the world. He said, if you belong to the world, they would love you as its own, but you don't belong. What, what does this mean to belong to the world? Well, um, you know, right now we hear a lot about sort of like polarization that's happening in, in our society more and more. Um, honestly, I kind of feel like we might be dividing along new lines, but we've always had polarization. We've always had these big divides between races and between classes and between religions and, and um, uh, between cultures, right? The, the, the history of humanity is, is kind of all about us and them. We're very good at this. We're very good at, at dividing. And so I kind of feel like what it means to belong to the world is for the world to say, you're one of us. You have our values. Your sense of right and wrong follows what we think right and wrong is. And, and if you're not one of us, then you're one of them. So we're going to talk here for a second about what are the values of our culture. Um, I, you know, I want to recognize, first of all, that all these values fundamentally come from good things, from things that, that God created or that, that God desires. They're all good, but every good thing has the capacity to, to be turned sour, and the world's really good at this, right? So, and also, um, in, the, in the U.S., we're actually many cultures, but the things I'm going to talk about are sort of like values that just American culture in general, um, in, in all its many flavors, tends to hold. So let's start with equity. The Constitution starts with this, right? It says we're all created equal. This is a very biblical value. 
right? The, it's talking about that we're created. Um, Paul talks about how, um, you know, there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free in Christ, right? This is a very Christian kind of concept. Um, but the problem is, what exactly is equity? Is, is equity um, equal opportunity? Is it, is it equal treatment? Is it equal outcome? Like we've seen in, in the last week or so, this is a very divisive topic in our society right now, right? And, and if something beautiful like, like equality can turn into one of the most divisive things in our society, it's not a good sign. Uh, freedom. Hey, this is like an American foundation. And Jesus said he came to set us free. So, hey, this is all aligned, right? This is great. Well, what do you, what do you mean by freedom? Like, what is freedom? I, um, um, this is how Oxford defines it. The freedom is the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. So, said in more simple language, Freedom is doing whatever I want. I mean, that may be a little bit more crass, but that's kind of what we mean when we say freedom. Doing whatever, I should be able to do whatever I want. That's freedom, right? Um, let me ask you a question. What does the devil want you to do? Do you think the devil wants you to maybe like tattoo a big swastika on your forehead and you know, squirt lemon juice in baby's eyes, get him to cry? It's like... <laughs> That would be not very useful. No, you know what the devil wants you to do? Whatever you want. If the world was filled with people who are just doing whatever they wanted to do, the devil's job would be over. See, God wants Jesus to be in the driver's seat of your life. And if Jesus isn't in the driver's seat, the devil doesn't need to be there. You'll do a fine job of screwing up on your own. You can't save yourself. Individualism. This is, a, this is related to, to freedom, but it's different, right? This is the idea that the individual is greater than the group, superior to the group, that the group only exists to serve the individual. And when this gets taken to the extreme, it starts to tear apart the relational fabric of our society. What, um, what is uh, Jesus' only two real commandments, right? He says, love God, love your neighbor. The Christian life at its heart is relational. And when you start to exalt the individual over relationship, then you end up with, with people who are not committed to their community, people who are not committed to their churches, people who are not committed to their marriages. And the relational fabric of the society starts to become unraveled. How about materialism? Now, when we use this word, um, we often mean it a little bit negatively, like, you know, people who are greedy or obsessed with acquiring things. But, but more generally, materialism is a system wh where, um, where your social status is determined by your wealth. And, and we really kind of do this, and we like things, right? The United States is the richest country in the world, and yet, we have $1 trillion of personal debt on credit cards because it's not enough. We want more. 
Consumer, uh, co- consuming drives our society. I shared this last time. The average American sees between five and 10,000 ads every day urging you on to consume. This lust for things is definitely something that Jesus challenges. The last thing I want to mention is scientific materialism. So so this is the idea that the physical world is all that there is, that, that truth is only what can be measured, and that the ultimate arbiter of truth is science. Now, I'm not I'm not um, tackling science here. I'm talking about the idea that science is the only source of truth, that everything else is just opinion. And all of these things are, are values that our culture holds dearly that sort of define who we are. And Jesus challenges those. Jesus calls us to a different kind of value system, a system where Jesus is Lord where relationship is more important than things. Relationship is more important than individualism. That the unseen is just as real as the seen. And when Jesus, when Jesus calls us into that kind of, of kingdom, that kind of world, that becomes a rejection of the value system of our culture, and that makes us become, in the culture's eyes, them instead of us. So, so um, one other thing that I, I want to mention here is that I'm not saying that we should try to correct the world, that we should like, try to make materialism illegal or you know, start an end freedom now campaign or anything like that, right? Um, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul says that we're not to judge those outside of the church. That is not, that is not our business. That is God's business. So, so when Jesus says that there's going to be conflict with the world, it's not because we're going out and fighting the world, because we're going out and loving the world, but the world is coming back and fighting us. So sometimes, sometimes that, um, that attack is overt, but most of the time, at least where we live, um, it, is, it is more about pressure to conform. Right? So, so the world is constantly trying to convert you to its value system, um, pressuring you to consume, as, we, as we've already talked about, pressuring you to raise your kids to be as independent as possible, pressure to look out for number one, pressure to see your faith as an unscientific opinion that should be kept to yourself. Pressure, pressure to um, gratify your desires and pressure to join the crusade of us against them. And if you um, don't feel like the world is trying to bend it to your way, bend you to its way, then it's probably because it's already bent you. So Jesus says that even if we love the world, the world will hate us because we don't belong. We have not adopted its value system. But Jesus gives us another reason why this is going to um, turn it into trouble. So, um, and I'm going to introduce this with a story. When I was a uh, sophomore year of college, I may or may not have uh, been involved in something that today would be called uh, computer hacking, but back then was called a college prank. And the end result of this uh, incident, allegedly, was that uh, 
uh, Ronald Reagan, president of the United States, enrolled at my college as a peace and justice major, <laughs> which we thought was pretty funny. Um, registrar did not think it was as funny. Um, so the, the, the thing about that, this is the old days, right? Before the internet, yes, kids, there was a world before the internet. Um, and that meant you had to actually have physical access to the computer to do anything like this. And, and so, so that meant hiding in a janitor's closet um, so that you could get into the computer, to the computer room after hours. And, and um, what I most remember is I may or may not have had to sneak back to the dorm room at one o'clock in the morning. And, and our campus was not well lit, but wow, I felt like every light bulb was like a spotlight shining on me, right? And, and like trying to, to avoid security and stay in the shadows. It's like that place felt like it was lit up like a, like a, a football stadium, right? And, and so there I learned the, the value of light in deterring crime. And, and this isn't just a modern lighting thing, right? Alleged crime. No. And this isn't just a modern lighting thing, right? So, so, so Jesus in, in John chapter 3 um, right after he said he came to, to save the world, he says the light came into the world and the people love the darkness more than the light for their actions are evil. So um, let, let me ask you a question. Who of you, when you're eating a donut, really wants somebody to come up to you and say, you know, that's really not good for you? It's like, no, nobody, nobody wants that. In fact, that person's probably trying to get your donut, right? So so I don't, um, when, I, when I'm mad at somebody, I don't want somebody to come and tell me to love my enemies, even, even if that will bring me more peace. When, when I want a new toy, I don't want somebody coming up and telling me, like, maybe you should give that to somebody who's more needy than you, even if that will, in the end, bring me more joy. I don't want my pride exposed. I don't want my lust exposed. I, I don't want my envy exposed even if keeping those things hidden in the end will suck the life out of me. We do not want the light shining in our darkness. And, and so, so when you are living out the kingdom of God, when, when you are living a, a chaste life, when you are uh, loving those that the world says you should be hating, when you are being generous to those less fortunate than you, it makes the people around feel guilty even if they never do a th even if you never say a thing about it right that that the light exposes the darkness and so so jesus says that the world hates the light and that he is the light that is lighting our way and lighting our path so there's that's two different ways that jesus says even even though we love the world the world will hate us now this isn't easy to go against the flow. Um, sometimes I feel like Jesus is asking too much of us, asking too much of me. I'm, I'm not strong enough to do all the things that Jesus says to do. I, I lack the willpower. But, Jesus, but the, the beauty of this is that it doesn't, the, the, the goal is not to strengthen our will. The goal is to surrender our will. So um, last week, uh, in verse 5, it said that Stephen was, in, was full of the Spirit. Um, this week, it says that he's full of God's grace and power. What does it mean to be full of the Spirit? Well, I think it means basically letting God, letting the Spirit of God into 
every corner of your life. So um, that, that, means letting, that, that means that corner of your life where that annoying cousin is who won't shut up about her politics. Let the spirit into that corner. That corner of your life where you don't want to be generous because you're afraid that you won't have enough. Let the spirit of God into that corner. The corner of your life where your porn addiction is. The corner of your life where you feel unworthy. The corner of your life where, where you are grieving the loss of something or someone that, that you couldn't bear to lose. Let the Spirit of God into that corner of your life. When the Spirit is filling your life, you don't need willpower. You just need to, to trust so, so Stephen is filled with the Spirit, filled with the wisdom of the Spirit, and, and people are attacking him. But now they're not attacking him in verse 10. They're attacking the Spirit. And the Spirit is too strong. They can't overcome the Spirit. And so they start making up lies. They start bringing in people with false testimony. And then in verse 12 and on, they, they, they drag him uh, before the Sanhedrin. And, and at verse 15, it says, his face was like the face of an angel. What, is, what does that mean? Well, I don't know, but, but I, I believe that when we completely surrender to God, that we, we are filled with a, a peace that passes all understanding. And, and Stephen is filled with the peace of God, and he's filled with the Spirit so much that the Spirit is shining out from him, and, and they can't overcome him in spite of the bad things that are happening and the worst things that are going to happen. So I've talked a little bit about the what, and that is that, that even, even if we love the world, that, that the world is still probably going to hate us. I've talked a little bit about the how. How do we, how do we love the world in, in, in the midst of all that? Is by completely surrendering our, um, to the Spirit of God. But I haven't said anything about the why. If this is so hard, why do it? If, if, um, if the, engaging with the world is going to result in the world hating us, why do it? If, if loving is going to get us crucified, why do it? Here's why. I am a sinner. I'm selfish. I'm arrogant. I'm disdainful. I hurt the ones I love. I don't want to rely on anybody else. So what is God's reaction looking down on me? What's God's reaction looking down at you and all of your issues? What's God's reaction looking at Peoria and the brokenness around us and in the rest of the world? God Almighty, infinite in wisdom and power, holy beyond all imagination, creator and sustainer of the universe. In the person of Jesus, sheds his, his divine mantle, 
comes down into the sewer to pull me out of the muck, to restore my life, to teach me how to live, to show me the way, to take away my shame, to bind up every wound, heal all the brokenness in my life. That's why even when the world doesn't respond to to love, it doesn't matter. We love anyways. Because when we were there, God loved us. And that's why even though I'm still bad at it, I want to surrender every corner of my life to the Spirit of God. Because Jesus saved a wretch like me.